The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spooktacular people. Welcome to this 327th episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast, Ghost Tours for the Theater of the Mind. I'm your host, Diane. And this is Kelly. Kelly, on today's episode, we have a location that was suggested to us by listener Karen Sanders, and that's Yellowstone National Park. I love national parks, and I can't wait to learn more. And you've never been to Yellowstone, have you? Unfortunately, I have not. I have as a kid. So it'll be a lot of fun to share a little bit about the history. And then there's a lot of ghost stories connected to this park. I can't wait. Before we do that, we want to welcome into the Spooktacular crew, Aaron with an E and two R's. And also just want to say we saw that you had lost a friend recently. So we're very sorry to hear that. Absolutely. Amber, Tracy, Hava, Jessica, and Suzanne with a Z. Thanks for joining us, everybody. And now this moment, Naughty. The moment in oddity was suggested by Kim Gasiorowski. There is a very unusual monument in Mayfield, Kentucky. This monument is named the Woolridge Monuments and is named for Henry Woolridge, who was a lifelong bachelor and eccentric horse breeder. Henry must have spent a lot of time thinking about his death and how he wanted to be honored with his burial. He decided to commission 18 life-size statues to be erected within the boundaries of his 17 by 33 square foot plot in Maplewood Cemetery. That's already really unusual. But even stranger, all of the monuments face east and include family members and animals. Statues represent his two brothers, three sisters, and mother and two nieces. He also made sure to include two of his dogs and a horse. He also commissioned two monuments for himself, one of which has him astride the aforementioned horse and the other standing next to a lectern. The latter was crafted from marble in Italy, while the rest of the works were made from limestone. Legends claim that all of the people represented were dead and that sculptors just had to wing it because Henry provided them with no pictures. The statues were put in place before Henry died in 1899 at the age of 77. His marble vault has a double-barreled shotgun carved into it. This procession of statues in a graveyard certainly is odd.
scared yet? Boo! <laughs> and now, this month in history. In the month of February, on the 2nd, 1925, Norwegian Gunnar Kaysen and his lead dog Balto brought the life-saving diphtheria serum into Nome, Alaska. A major outbreak of diphtheria threatened the young people of Nome, Alaska in early 1925. The only serum was in Anchorage, and a major storm with temperatures reaching down into the minus 70-degree Fahrenheit level was raging. There was only one aircraft that was available to get the serum through, but the cold weather had frozen the engine. Officials knew their only chance was to use sled dogs. This would not be an easy trip, and while Balto and Kaysen had gotten most of the glory, a group of mushers and sled dogs got the serum through. The worst stretch that was also the longest was covered by Norwegian Leonard Sapala and his dog, Togo. But Balto managed to follow the trail in whiteout conditions and in the dark. All of these men and dogs were heroes. There's a statue of Balto in Central Park, New York. The plaque on it reads, dedicated to the indomitable spirit of the sled dogs that relayed antitoxin 600 miles over rough ice across treacherous waters through arctic blizzards from nanana to the relief of stricken gnome in the winter of 1925 endurance fidelity intelligence yellowstone national park has some real bragging rights this was the first ever american national park the park stretches over three states and two million acres. There are geothermal wonders, wild animals that can be readily seen, rustic architecture, and hundreds of ghost stories. Yellowstone is probably the most haunted national park in America. Join us as we share the history and haunts of Yellowstone National Park. I went to Yellowstone with my family when I was a teenager. I don't know. Have I ever told you that I wanted to be a forest ranger when I grew up? You have. <laughs> so when I went to college, I actually took a bunch of courses in wildlife biology. And I finally decided that I didn't want to go that route because number one, it was kind of like the army. So they station sure, you, you move around <laughs> wherever they want to put you. <laughs> yes. And you don't make a whole lot of money doing it. Yep, absolutely. So I eventually changed my major a couple of times before I decided that uh, school was just not for me anymore. But I grew up with this desire to be a park ranger or a forest ranger, and I've always loved animals. I as well. <laughs> so I can understand it. So it was a dream to get to go to Yellowstone, really. I got pictures of buffaloes and elk and even a mama and baby moose. They were out on the side of the road. Uh -huh. And I remember we saw all these cars pulled over. So my dad pulls over to see what everybody's looking at. And they went across the road and then down into this clearing. Aww. And I don't know if I can find this picture. I've probably got it in a box somewhere. Or maybe it might be in one of my photo albums. I'll have to look and see. If I find it, I'll take a picture of it and pop it up on Instagram. Good. But it is through the clearing, real close. You can see Mama bending her head down to little baby who's laying in the ground and kind of nuzzling it. Oh, so precious. Yeah, it was so amazing. 
I'm also a birder, as you know. I'm one of those nerds. And so I got to see trumpeter swans here, which are the largest wild waterfowl in America. They're just beautiful. They are these white swans, but with black beaks. Very majestic. Yeah. So you're used to, if you see a swan or something, you're used to seeing them with orange beaks. So it was just so cool to see these huge white birds with these black beaks. Yeah. Don't don't get between them and their, their babies. They can they're, be pretty ferocious. I, well, I think they're called goslings. I don't know in terms of swans, but... I'm not sure either. I don't know if they call but them... But yes, they're very protective. Well, I'm glad I didn't get too close to them. But we did get probably a little too close to some of the buffalo. I have a picture of my sister pointing at one. And she's just a few feet away from it. And oh, you know, good grief. Stupid kids who don't know oh, better. Oh, my word. Yeah. When I would do Catalina marathons, they have buffalo all over the island of Santa Catalina Island off mm-hmm. California. And these were like relatively tame. However, they're still wild buffalo and they get their panties in a bunch. <laughs> I mean, they're these these silly people that will try to yeah. get really close and I'll, I'll chastise Christy when I talk to her next. But... Well, it's not really her fault. I was telling her to get closer oh so gosh, I could get the picture. <laughs> it's so dangerous. But you know, you can't blame them for getting upset when you're in their personal space. They would get right across the trail when we were doing the the marathon. Mm -hmm. And you just kind of had to wait or if there was some kind of alternative route, you just went Went around them. I mean, they're huge animals. Oh, my gosh. Very intimidating. And then you've got the hot springs and geysers here, like nothing you've ever seen in the world. Yeah, I've heard about them. I've watched episodes about them, documentaries and so forth on TV. But it's something that I really want to experience in person. This is a place of wonders, but also danger. Fall into one of those hot springs and, well, you probably will die. So I should probably stay very clear. (laughs) Thankfully, Kelly, in our modern era, they've put up little boardwalks and they have big railings and things. You have to actually make an effort. You won't just fall into one usually. So if I turn around and take a selfie, I won't (laughs) trip. And You shouldn't, (laughs) unless you keep backing up and backing up into the little railing and somehow go over. Well, I mean, that's what a lot of people do. And I could see myself doing that. So Yeah, maybe we don't take you to Yellowstone. (laughs) I don't know. You would definitely break. (laughs) so ever heard of hot potting no (laughs) this isn't some form of cooking in the kitchen there are people who make it a sport to travel around and find these hot springs that are untouched by humanity and still very much in their natural state the gnarly science blog by dr c.m helm clark has some great stuff on this and isn't that the best name of a blog i love it somebody should name a podcast that gnarly science I love it. Bathing in water over 110 degrees Fahrenheit is unsafe, and many hot springs run about 122 degrees Fahrenheit. Dr. Helm Clark writes, The mecca of acid hot springs, at least in North America, is the Yellowstone volcanic caldera. There have been more than 20 documented deaths at Yellowstone associated with hot springs. Many of these are described in detail to rival any good horror movie in Lee Whittlesey's death in Yellowstone. 1995 Robert Reinhardt Publishers. Almost all of them are gut turners. Several bodies of those who have fallen in have never been recovered because they are completely dissolved. Ew. Yeah. Some date back to the early 1900s, while one story is as recent as 2015, where a brother and sister left the boardwalk to go hot potting, where it was prohibited, and the brother fell in and was dissolved. Oh, my God. I know. 
One story Dr. Helm Clark shares demonstrates just how ludicrous decency beliefs were back in the day. One woman from Washington, D.C. was on a tour of Yellowstone in 1905, before boardwalks were built for the safety of visitors. In Upper Geyser Basin, home to Old Faithful, she took off her glasses to wipe the moisture off them. Without thinking, she stepped backward, not looking where she was going, and fell hip-deep into the pool of a boiling water hot spring. She was wearing thick petticoats, and these got soaked with the spring water. Their presence next to her burned legs kept inflicting a deeper level of burn since they were not removed right away. Apparently, decency was more important than good first aid in those days. In relentless pain, the poor woman lingered for three weeks in a local hotel before she died. Yeah, so we didn't want to see her undergarments, so just keep that burning material right there next to her legs. And of course, they didn't understand a lot of the stuff back then, but you think they'd have enough sense to be like, get the clothes off of her. Right. And if those statistics and stories aren't enough, listener Karen Sanders, who requested this location, wrote to us, from the time it was made a national park up till 1995, there had been over 300 deaths, 16 murders, 15 suicides, 87 drownings, the list goes on. I'm sure there are many more now, people taking selfies on cliffs and such. So there are many reasons to have ghosts here. As a matter of fact, what I found is that since 1872, there have been eight bear deaths, 121 drownings, 21 burns in the hot springs, which led to death, and 26 suicides. Wow. So those are probably, you know, adding up the number since 1995. Yeah, that went through 2018, I believe. Makes me wonder, too, when you got all these murders there, were these solved and... This is a great place, I've heard, if you want to get rid of a body. Because what would you do if you killed somebody? Throw them into the hot spring and their body would dissolve. They just disappear. (laughs) I would imagine. Yeah, I mean, there's horrifying to imagine. I'm sure. But, you know, (laughs) I listen to true crime all the time. So the perfect crime, go to Yellowstone. Throw the body in a hot spring. One where there's no no remnants of a body. Good grief. (laughs) Add to all of these deaths that there are a couple of cemeteries here, too. Karen told us up on the hill back behind the general store in Mammoth, north of Old Faithful in the north entrance of the park, is the very first cemetery. There are 15 graves. All of them are unmarked except one. Mary Foster, I believe her name is. So my husband, being the good sport that he is, hiked up there with me and we combed the hillside for quite some time looking for this grave marker. He found a piece of cement with some metal in it that we don't know what that is. I'm not sure if that would have been part of the marker or something else. So as I was walking, being the crazy lady that I am, I said, okay, Mary, If you're here, please show me where you are so I can take a picture and remember you. Just then, this beautiful bluebird landed on a rock close to me. I'm a bird watcher, and I was grateful that this beautiful bird made an appearance. Is this a sign that we found her grave? Of course, that is for you to decide. That's amazing. More information is needed, but that's really cool. Well, I will tell you that I did a little bit more investigating on this to find out about this cemetery, and it is a regular marker. So it it looks like a gravestone. You wouldn't mistake it for something else. And it is very, very difficult to find. So I'm not surprised that she didn't find it. As a matter of fact, the one person where I got some of the information said that they contacted the guy who wrote Death in Yellowstone and asked him, can you give me specific directions to find it? Because I can't find it. Right. Some GPS coordinates or something. Yeah. And the author did that for him. So that was cool. That's nice. This is Yellowstone's Kite Hill Cemetery, and it was founded in 1883. This had originally been called Sepulchre Hill, but was changed to Kite because so many people go there to fly kites. 
Only one monument remains, and it does indeed belong to Mary Foster, who appears to be the first burial in 1883. She died at the age of 33 and had probably worked at the Mammoth Hotel near where she was buried. Another woman is buried next to her who died from natural causes in 1887. There are also people buried here who died from suicide, an avalanche, and murder, according to the Death in Yellowstone book. Fort Yellowstone Army Cemetery is also here, and then there is a lone grave near the Nez Pierce picnic area that belongs to Maddie S. Culver, who was the wife of E.C. Culver, who was the caretaker at the Firehole Hotel from 1888 to 1889. The Culvers had come here hoping to help Maddie with her TB that she suffered from. But she eventually died on March 2nd, 1889. The ground was too frozen to bury her, so she was placed inside two pickle barrels and buried in a snowdrift until the spring thaw. Can you imagine a pickle body? Well, I'm assuming <laughs> the pickles were taken out before they I put know. Her in. I mean, there was no receiving yeah, tomb I know. here. There, there so, wasn't really anything yeah. else that they could do. Yeah, what are you going to so, do? They don't have refrigeration there. But in two, so were they connected? And I don't or... know how they would have connected them. That's what I'm thinking. They took the lids off of two of them and plopped them together with her in the middle. I hope so. But I don't know how they made it so that they stayed together. And then, boy, yeah. when that spring thaw starts, Ooh. you better get on it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad we have a lot more processes in place for that for, for us today Yeah, versus what they had. Exactly. I mean, today you could just get a backhoe and it doesn't matter how frozen the ground is. It's going to get it dug up somehow exactly there's a lot of different spirits here they don't know who all they belong to so possibly she could be one of them that's floating around because maybe she's not too happy she obviously died fairly young from tuberculosis right and then you know i don't know how proper her burial was not to mention she's all by herself when you see the grave it's just out in the middle of this picnic area with some split rails around it to mark it so it's yeah It does make you think they must not have been able to build some kind of coffin at the time. Right. I mean, it it just is. It's all very curious, I guess I should say, because I I would not want to be pickled or put in a pickled barrel or maybe they didn't have any other immediate offerings to use. Uh, I mean, you're surrounded by a bunch of trees. I I don't know. But, you know, it's not like they had a lumber mill either to plane it and everything. So. This poor woman. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastic into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. We've talked a lot of death here. Perhaps we should get into the history behind the formation of Yellowstone National Park. Don't you think, Kelly? Yeah, I would say so. (laughs) (laughs) This park is named after the Yellowstone River, which was named by French trappers in the 18th century. The French name is Rochejun. Paleo-Indians of the Clovis culture were here long before the French, though possibly living in the region 11,000 years ago. They were followed eventually by the Shoshone, Nez Pierce, and Crow. Stories about Yellowstone in the early 1800s were thought to just be myths. Kelly, what would happen is these trappers and mountain men would come through the area. They'd see all these natural wonders that people go to Yellowstone to see, and they'd go into these towns and tell them, I saw these rivers with steam rising from them. 
There are these little mud pools that are boiling and trees that are petrified. And people thought they were just making these stories up. I would imagine. One of the guys, his last name was Coulter, and they even started calling the place Coulter's Hell after he spent some time in the area and he called it a place of fire and brimstone. Wow. Well, I mean, I would imagine because it's something that nobody had actually experienced. So it seems otherworldly. I mean, if you had somebody come up to you and you'd never heard of such a thing, that there's this opening in the earth and all of a sudden this steam and water comes flying out and rises 100 feet into the air and does it for a couple of minutes. It's of the devil. Yeah. I mean, you <laughs> I would mean, be thinking, really? what in the hell, where's that coming from? possessed or... <laughs> yeah. And I mean, people felt like hell was right below them. Yeah. So sure, it's coming straight out of hell. Right. The Cook Folsom Peterson Expedition of 1869 was the first to survey the Yellowstone area, and this was followed by the Washburn Langford Doan Expedition in 1870. This expedition not only surveyed the land, but collected specimens, and one of the members, Cornelius Hedges, championed the idea that the Yellowstone area be set aside as some kind of national park. More people would join the cause, and finally Congress was petitioned to pass a bill reserving the Great Geyser Basin as a public park forever. Things would finally move forward, and President Ulysses S. Grant would sign the Act of Dedication Law that created Yellowstone National Park on March 1, 1872. Nathaniel Langford was Yellowstone's first superintendent, but Langford was given no federal funding, and poachers and other raiders took full advantage with nearly 3,000 animals being killed between 1874 and 1875. Eventually, funding came and crude roads were built, and then the train came and people used stagecoaches and horses to access the park. Can you imagine? It's like, okay, we've made this a national park, but we're not going to fund anything. Yeah, that's horrible. And then tell this guy, you got to take care of it and protect it, but you get no money. You not only get no pay, but you don't get any money to do it with. Yeah, absolutely ridiculous. And then, of course, these people see all of these buffalo herds that are rounded up in here. And hey, let's go hunting. And there's nothing he can do to stop it. I mean, can you imagine (laughs) 3,000 animals in a year? That's That's a a lot. lot. That's a whole heck of a lot. They would fix this pretty quickly by bringing in the U.S. Army. They would take over the management of Yellowstone from 1886 through 1918. The National Park Service was created in 1916, and that same year, horse-drawn wagons were no longer allowed on park roads. This would usher in the automobile, and people would start pouring into the park. But this was not without issues, as many cars would get stuck on old wagon roads, so the Park Service started paving those roads. In 1929, the park's boundaries were adjusted, so they were expanded. Officials would continue to develop the park and make changes throughout the years to help protect animals, restore the wolf to the park, and manage the land better. I love that. But lost in all this history is what happened to the Native Americans who had lived here and hunted here. They eventually were mostly excluded, and the only year-round tribe were the Eastern Shoshone, who were known as the Sheep Eaters. They thought that a treaty had promised them the right to hunt in Yellowstone if they ceded their lands there. The treaty was never ratified and the sheep eaters would be denied. There would be skirmishes with Chief Joseph's Nez Perce band as well. Eventually there would be peace and one of the most beautiful areas in the country would be saved from development. Yeah, so basically what happened here is they went in and said, if you Native Americans give up your land so that we can... At least they weren't developing it so that we can conserve it. Then we will give you access to continue to hunt here because that would be their main reason why they wouldn't want to give up that land is because they were hunting on it. Well, 
whenever we make a treaty here in America, it has to be ratified by Congress. So it wasn't. So that wasn't okay, which to me means that the Eastern Shoshone should have been able to say, well, then you don't have our land either. Exactly. <laughs> it goes both yeah, ways. It but does. Somehow in all of that, that got messed up. And we know it's just never a good thing to do that. Clearly, back in the day, they didn't think about those things, or maybe they didn't believe in some of the spirituality around it, but it is amazing how much we all pay for it today. Absolutely. Thanks for developing all of those Indian burial grounds and sacred lands and such. Now we're all haunted because of it. (laughs) Well, and I feel sorry for the people wanting to visit their ancestors. So one of the first locations we want to talk about here is the Old Faithful Inn. There are nine lodging options in Yellowstone National Park, and probably the most famous is the Old Faithful Inn. When we stayed in the park, we stayed at a cabin. And I remember as a teenager that it was really strange to me because there were no TVs or anything in there. Oh, my word. And this day and age, there was probably no Wi-Fi either. Well, there definitely was no Wi-Fi (laughs) because actually, hey, kids, we didn't even know what that was. (laughs) No, but I'm saying the same location, Mm -hmm. if it still exists, there's probably no Wi-Fi. (laughs) Actually, when I was looking into a lot of these hotels, that's one of their perks. They all offered Wi-Fi. So I think they've been updated at least to that. I don't know that they have TVs, but. Okay. Well, yeah. Everybody wants to stay connected. Absolutely. And we, we like doing the lives and everything. So I can understand that. But from a motherly standpoint with teenagers, Mm -hmm. it's like, okay, Put the phone Cut down it off. For a cut it off. Just cut it off. Don't allow it so you can actually have the interaction and well, enjoy neat, the environment. We ended up having to play games. It was kind of like when we'd go camping when we were kids. You'd play games and sure. stuff like that or go hiking because you can't just sit around watching TV all day. Absolutely. What makes this the most popular hotel in the park is the fact that it's right next to the geyser for which it is named Old Faithful. The geyser was named Old Faithful because of its constant regularity. It erupts every 35 to 120 minutes. And the eruption lasts from one and a half to five minutes. The burst of steam and water can rise as high as 184 feet. The steam hits around 204 degrees Fahrenheit at the vent. And what's really cool, Kelly, is I got to see that happen. That's amazing. We'll have to see if I have any of those pictures, too. The Upper Geyser Basin Hotel had stood here originally, but it burned down. The Old Faithful Inn was designed by architect Robert Raymer and built between 1903 and 1904 using local logs and stone and it rises four stories. This makes it the largest log structure in the world, and it is really cool. I'll try to get pictures of that up on Instagram, too. Yes, absolutely. The inside is wonderful to behold with decorative wood and wrought iron, a massive stone fireplace, and a handcrafted clock made of copper. There are 327 rooms and at least one ghost. Only one? Well, there are several ghost stories, but I don't know how many of them are legit. Ah, The Old Faithful Inn features the ghost story of the Headless Bride. The story dates back to 1915 and follows the same features as so many ghost stories involving star-crossed lovers. It's a wonder that it took so long for parents to come around to just letting their kids love who they love. In this case, we have the daughter of a wealthy shipping magnate in New York. Her parents had picked out the son of a wealthy friend to be her husband and arranged everything but their daughter had fallen in love with one of the household servants who also happened to be a much older man. The daughter eloped with the servant. Her parents were humiliated and her father wanted to get the couple out of town. So he offered them a large sum of money, her dowry, to leave New York and never come back. The couple agreed and they headed for Wyoming. They decided to honeymoon at Yellowstone and they booked a room at the Old Faithful Inn. 
Now, the young woman had followed her heart, but maybe not her brain, because she hadn't chosen very well when it came to her husband. He took the large sum of money that was her dowry and decided to do some gambling. He also bought the finest food and drank the best liquor. A month into the honeymoon, and the couple was broke. The husband told her she should call her dad for more money, and you can probably guess what the answer was. A solid no. The couple quarreled, and it was so loud that many staff and guests heard the argument. The husband left the room, slamming the door hard behind him, was never seen again. After a couple of days, the staff became worried because they hadn't seen either member of the couple. They entered the room and found a grisly scene. The bride was in the bathroom with blood everywhere, and her head was missing. This was eventually found in the crow's nest, where the band played. The young woman is now reputedly seen in her spirit form, wearing white, descending from the crow's nest with her head tucked under her arm. Oh, good grief. Is there any truth to this tale? There doesn't seem to be, and the story goes that a bell captain at the inn named George Borneman had made the whole story up, and now everybody tells the story. But there is another ghost tale connected to the inn. A woman staying at the hotel in room two years ago claimed that she saw a woman wearing Victorian-era clothing floating at the foot of her bed at night. She woke her husband up, but he did not see the apparition. Now... We would typically question this since the inn was built in 1904 and Victorian dresses were probably out of style by that time. But could this be a ghost from the earlier hotel that was here? That's what I was thinking when I first read that. I went, well, how could there be a ghost in a Victorian dress? The inn wasn't even around back then. But then I went, oh, wait, there was something there before, though. Exactly. Now, this one seems to have a little bit more behind it. The Headless Bride, definitely. You'll see that story everywhere. But then you'll also see that this guy said, oh, I just thought people would think it was a cool story. But it's amazing. See how quickly a story can become urban legend. Yeah, this is what really happened. (laughs) There's one more ghostly tale connected to the hotel. This one is from an employee who had a really weird experience. A housekeeper claimed to watch a fire extinguisher that was hanging on the wall, lift itself up, do a 90 degree turn and then drop back to its original position. This was up on the 300 wing, and the only time that anyone saw that extinguisher do its acrobatics. The National Park's Traveler blog had the following comment, though. As an employee of TW Services during the summers of 1986 and 1987 at the Old Faithful Inn location, I can verify some of the stories from the inn. I worked as a line cook at OFI. I became friends with the security guards because I would get off work late and then hang around in front of the fireplace or go to the second floor to write letters from the small tables in the public area. I marveled at the inn and the geyser basin at night because I got to roam it without thousands of tourists interrupting. It was the summer of 86 that my experiences began with the unrested souls. On a routine watch with one of the guards, we walked the halls of the third floor. Something called my name. I kept walking and continued to hear it several times until I asked her if she'd heard anything. She said yes, and that they do it to her quite often. Later that night, we made it down to the 300 wing. It was the newer part of the hotel. I was told it was built on two unmarked graves. I pretty much shrugged it off, but thought it to be odd. In the months following, several odd things occurred, many that took my nerve, resulting in me running away. The 300 wing was intersected by four hallways and a refreshment closet. I saw the fire extinguisher mentioned above. I saw the fire hose wheel turn and fill up the hose. I saw the short stairwell steps flatten, causing my friend to stumble. I felt the unrested souls pass by me in the hallways. A sweet fragrance was present. I felt my hand squeezed. I saw the ice machine fill up, then dump ice on the floor. My goodness. Now that short stairwell with the steps flattening out, 
What the hell is that? I don't know. That is really bizarre. And then also the fire wheel hose. If it's anything like our our fire hoses of today, they're completely flat and they don't fill up until they're essentially un, unrolled. Yeah, I mean, and how could they it fill even up? fill up? I, I don't know. Like that. I don't know. Yeah. So, I mean, if this is all true and not somebody just making up some crazy stories, that's some crazy activity. Yeah, that's really insane. And if I saw any one of those things once, I don't know that I would be sticking there for employment for a long period of time or walking anywhere in those vicinities by myself. Well, I mean, it would make me more curious. I'd be curious, but I'd be like, somebody's coming with me. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> All right, Bravey. We'll see. We'll see how brave you are when we're at Waverly. Well, true that. <laughs> Next, we're going to hit Lake Yellowstone Hotel. Lake Yellowstone Hotel was built in 1891 and has 296 rooms. This is the oldest standing hotel at Yellowstone, and the decor is reminiscent of the 1920s with colonial architectural stylings on the outside featuring yellow clapboard. It is named for Yellowstone Lake because it sits on its shores. The sunroom and lounge have massive windows providing a great view of this lake. One can sit in here or out on the porch, sipping some tea and listening to the tinkling of the keys from a live piano player. The hotel was originally designed by architect R.R. Cummins and was relatively plain. He had been hired by the Northern Pacific Railway to build the hotel as one of three the railway was building in the park. As more and more people came to Yellowstone, upgrades were made. The architect of the Old Faithful Inn, Robert Reamer, was hired to renovate. The hotel has undergone many renovations through the years, with 2014 being the most recent. There are several spirits reported to be here. One of them is said to be President Calvin Coolidge. Like so many of our presidents, he visited Yellowstone and loved it, and was particularly fond of this hotel. So they say that he occasionally turns up as though he is taking a vacation from the afterlife at a place he once liked to vacation in life. He is generally seen sitting in a rocker in the lounge. Being that the hotel is on a lake, one can imagine that a few people have drowned here, either while swimming or in boating accidents. There are two drownings that have ghosts connected to them. A young boy was visiting with his family and drowned here. People see his apparition near the lake and in the hotel. One employee claimed to see him gazing out from the attic, which is kept locked at all times. He is said to always be wearing a dress shirt and has brown hair. And he likes to play in the public men's restroom, too. Well, finally, somebody in the men's restroom and I know. in the women. The women get a break for a change. And thank goodness, since it is a little boy. I mean, how many of us women have had the little boys looking through the right. crack in the, the, crack door, in the door when their mom is in the, the next stall? We don't need any Awkward. ghost boys doing it. Yeah, definitely not. Al Brinza tells of an experience he had on the Am Ghost Hunters blog. At this time, I decided to head for the men's restroom located past the main desk down the hallway on the first floor. Upon entering through a heavy wooden door that made a squeaking noise like these types of doors often do, I discovered I was the only one there, or so I thought. Within a few seconds, I felt the familiar jag of a headache that I usually get when something paranormal is near. Next, I heard some footsteps and a little boy giggling and laughing, and I was surprised to see him peeking under the stall door. I believe I said, hey, and then he was gone. Total silence. I heard no more footsteps or the opening or closing of the door. Now I'm thinking, okay, what just happened? I didn't see much of the little boy, just his face and light brown or blondish hair, wearing a white dress-up kind of shirt. Afterwards, I returned and explained my experience to my wife and to our son Eric and his wife Chrissy. 
Later, after we finished our meal and we were leaving, I just had to ask the lady at the main desk if there were any ghost stories associated with this place. At first, I got the usual stare as her mind processed what I had just asked. Then she said, there are some stories of a little boy that has been seen by some of our guests. And there's the spirit of a young woman wearing a flapper's dress that is seen. She's our other drowning victim. People say that her name is Matilda and that she likes to haunt a room on the second floor in the back with a view of the forest that was probably her room at one time. Matilda will sometimes walk the second floor hallway and she has touched people on occasion. She seems to enjoy the staff more than the guests. There'd been a group of musicians who would play at the hotel and they apparently still like to play in the afterlife. And a former porter at the hotel is returned in spirit form and people see him in the lobby before he just disappears. He often appears out of nowhere and offers to help guests with their luggage and provides information on the trails one can hike at Yellowstone. S.E. Slosher wrote the book Haunted Yellowstone and tells a story about the bellman in there. About halfway down, a compassionate bellman overtook me and claimed my heavy bag. Relieved, I hitched my handbag over my shoulder and followed the bellman. We chattered about my trip all the way up the elevator, and the bellman had some great suggestions for hikes we might take along the lakeshore and where we might see wildlife. The elevator led us off on the fourth floor, and we walked to the end of a long, rather spooky hallway. I shivered a bit, feeling uncomfortable and not understanding why this was so. But the friendly bellman distracted me with his gentle conversation. He left me in front of the open door with my bag, bowing slightly like an old-fashioned gentleman in a movie. I fumbled in my handbag, looking for my wallet. Then I realized I'd given it to my husband so he could check us in. Wait a moment, I told the friendly bellman and hurried inside the room, calling to my husband. Frank was locked in the bathroom, but my wallet was on the bedside table. Pulling out some money, I hurried to the door, only to find that the friendly bellman had vanished. The woman tells her husband about the bellman, and they agree to leave a tip at the bell desk later. When they get to the desk, the woman explains to a young man there what had happened. Slosher continues the story. Do you know his name? The young man asked. I'm sorry, I don't, I said. Then I spied the picture on the desk, showing a group of bellmen. That's him, I said, pointing. The young man's smile slipped a bit. That's a historic picture, taken many years ago, he said cautiously. None of those men work here now. Really? That's strange, I said, feeling cold again. The bellman who helped me looked just like this man. That man was the bell captain, the young man said. He's since passed away. Faced devoid of expression, he added, I'm sorry, I don't know who it was that helped you today. Oh, well, maybe I will see him again, I said with an uneasy glance at the photo on the desk. Strange that the man who helped me looked exactly like the former bell captain. I shuddered and hurried over to my husband, who was examining some of the lovely photographs displayed around the lobby. All done, he asked, taking my hand and leading me towards the dining room. Not really, I said uneasily, and told him about the picture. So you're saying a ghost helped you with your luggage? Frank asked when I finished. Hearing it put that way sent cold shudders down my spine. Pretty much, I said. I'm not sure I want to spend the night at this hotel. What if the ghost comes back? I thought that was a really, really cool story. It's super cool. I mean, what an amazing experience. I wouldn't be put off by that. I would totally want to stay there and see if the kind bellman comes back. I know, because everything was really cool about it. and Super positive. I love these stories where they're like, well, I saw, and then they see like a picture in the lobby just like this or a painting and they're like it was that person and right. people are like uh well that person's dead <laughs> pretty much 
Next, we're going to the Mammoth Hot Springs Hotel. The Mammoth Hot Springs Hotel was built in 1883, but eventually demolished in 1936 and rebuilt, although the North Wing is the same as the one that was added in 1911. The new version of the hotel opened in 1937. There are 211 rooms here, and it's located below the steaming limestone terraces of Mammoth Hot Springs, for which it gets its name. There's also apparently cabins here. Nice. Maybe we'll go stay there. Maybe we will. (laughs) You know, uh, dogs can stay in some of the cabins, too. Well, that would be a road trip that we should take then. Yeah. Ghost stories are plentiful here. A storage room is used to keep extra beds and chairs and furniture often moves in here of its own accord. Maintenance workers will report that chairs that they have neatly stacked against one wall will have been either unstacked or the entire stack has moved over to another wall. A maintenance supervisor had an unsettling experience reported on the Stormy Night Tales blog. Once the head maintenance supervisor had retrieved a box of light bulbs for his men to replace several which had burned out. He locked the door when he left. He received a call on his walkie-talkie for some other item almost immediately, so he turned back, opened the locked door, and found something was on the other side. He pushed it open to find an unopened case of toilet paper had been pushed against the door. The cases of toilet paper kept against the far wall in the back, and there's only the one door through which to enter. So how did that box move across the room to block the door? Well, (laughs) it must have fallen quite strangely. I was going to say maybe a ghost had a burrito, so... (laughs) (laughs) The ghosts were desperate for some paper. Wanted to make sure it had something accessible. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) A similar experience happened to a maid cleaning a room. She stepped out into the hall to get some more towels and the door slammed behind her. She tried the door and while the knob would turn, she couldn't get it open. She pushed and pushed with no luck. The room had an adjoining room, so she went through it there and found that the door wouldn't open because a dresser had been pushed up against it. Frightened, she ran to get her supervisor. When she returned with the supervisor, they found the door wide open and the dresser back where it belonged, six feet away. The housekeeper quit on the spot. I don't blame her. Yeah. The supervisor figured the woman was lying, but upon inspection, she found deep scratches on the floor from the dresser being pushed across the floor. But imagine how quickly that dresser moved across the floor. Yeah, because if you think she steps out of the room to get something off of her cart with the door closing behind her. Right. And she can't get back in. So it's not like... It was just that the door locked on her. It's like she turned the knob, was pushing the door open. So in the time that she stepped out into the hallway, and and maybe it was five minutes, I don't know, that dresser... It's still pretty darn quick. And she (laughs) apparently didn't hear it because she didn't realize what was going on. You would think that you would hear it dragging on the wood Mm -hmm. floor, too. And even if you did hear it, I mean, I I think you would probably be like, what in the... Because I'm the only one in there. Disembodied footsteps are heard in many parts of the hotel, and the giggling of a little girl when there are no children around has also been heard. This is usually in the hallway on the fourth floor, and her little running feet are sometimes heard as well. Psychics claim the little girl is Emily, and there's a grave for an Emily Sievert in the Fort Yellowstone Cemetery. She was not quite two years old when she passed. Aww. So perhaps she came back to a place where she used to run in the hallway and have fun. Next, we're going to talk about Uncle John Yancey. John F. Yancey was a gold prospector and a Civil War veteran who decided to set down roots at Yellowstone. People called him Uncle John, and he built a hotel here in the 1870s that was named Yancey's Hole. 
It was near the present-day Roosevelt Lodge and served the stagecoach running between Mammoth Hot Springs and the mining camps in Cook City. Rooms were $2 per day, and there were five of them that could hold 20 guests. So I guess you could put four people in each room, two to a bed? I would say so. In 1903, Uncle John went to Gardner, Montana to hear President Teddy Roosevelt speak at the dedication of the Roosevelt Arch. He caught a cold while there that turned into pneumonia, and he died when he was 77 years old. They buried him in the old Tinker's Cemetery near Mammoth. But his spirit is not at rest, and he seems to have made the Roosevelt Lodge his new home since his old hotel no longer stands. He is a poltergeist-like ghost blamed for hiding things, and he was known to unsaddle horses. Park staff claim that he bangs a tin cup on the walls of the staff quarters at 3 a.m. That must be so nice to wake up to. I'm sure, although I would say the horses are happy to get unsaddled. So he was helping them out for sure. Yeah, (laughs) I would say so. And then we have E.C. Waters. A man named E.C. Waters found that running cruises on Yellowstone Lake could be a lucrative business. But he was a horrible businessman and an angry man. He had bought the Yellowstone Boat Company in 1897, which consisted of rowboats and a passenger boat named the Zilla. Waters had a hard time keeping the boats in repair, and he started charging really high prices. Then he came up with the idea to charge people when they first got on the boat. And then, Kelly, when they got to the other shore and wanted to get off the boat, well, you got to pay up again. Oh, my word. (laughs) Then this guy decided to open his own zoo on Dot Island in Yellowstone Lake and brought in elk and buffalo. The animals were poorly cared for and malnourished. Ugh, nothing chaps my behind mm. more than that. And I can only imagine how he got them over to the island on this boat, I guess. I don't uh. know what in the world. <laughs> Eventually, Waters decided to buy a bigger boat so he could make more money, but officials at Yellowstone would not certify the vessel to carry more than the 125 people that he already had been carrying on the Zilla, and this outraged him even further. In his rage, he docked this new ship that he had named after himself, the E.C. Waters, on the eastern side of Stevenson Island and filled the boat full of holes so it wouldn't float. Nice. Yeah, so he's mad because they won't let him carry more people. And what did you tell me you'd looked into this? How many people could it carry? Uh, Yes, the steamboat E.C. Waters actually was supposed to be able to carry 500 people. So, I mean, I could see why he's a little angry that they're like, no, you can only do 125 Yeah, but don't act like a first grader and go drill holes in the bottom of the boat so it won't float. I I mean, mean, talk about a temper tantrum. (laughs) And who do you think you're punishing? I mean, you just punished your own business. Fool. And maybe if he had been a nicer guy, because he was doing these crazy things like the stagecoach operators, he'd pay him a little bit on the side to have them bring the people to him rather than there were obviously other concessionaires there that were running their own boat tours. And he just had a temper in general from what I read. Yeah. And so then he got on such a bad side with the stagecoach drivers that they were like, dude, we're not sending anybody your way, which made him even angrier and acting even more a fool. And he just alienated everybody away from him rather than if he would have just been a nice guy and then brought this new boat in. I'm sure the officials would have been like, oh, go right ahead. Exactly. But since his Zilla, I bet that boat wasn't even seaworthy anymore. They're probably like, (laughs) if you're not going to take care of a boat, we're not going to let you put 500 people on it. Yeah. He still continued to run the boat tours for a couple more years, but things got so bad that President Roosevelt himself expelled Waters from the park. I can't say as I'm surprised, but that's a a hella situation. He must have really been. (laughs) I mean, can you imagine? (laughs) It's not the supervisor or manager of Yellowstone. It's the president of the United States telling you to get the hell out. Oh, my word. He moved back to Wisconsin, where he was from. 
and eventually ended up in an insane asylum where he died. But his anger and need to hold on to his Yellowstone glory day seems to have brought his spirit back to his old stomping grounds. His ghost has been seen hanging around the dilapidated boat, and his disembodied voice is heard cursing his fate on the shores of Yellowstone Lake. A ghostly fire has been seen on Stevenson Island, and visitors claim that Water Spirit is the one who sets the fire. Well, I can't say as I'm surprised, especially with him cursing from what I read in in history in regards to his personality. (laughs) Well, the other thing that you found out is I had only seen his name as E.C. Waters, and you managed to find out what his real first name is, and I thought maybe that's why he was so angry. (laughs) Well, his first name was Ella, which is my grandmother's name. So, yeah, I mean, maybe it was like a boy named Sue. (laughs) Maybe, and that's (laughs) why he was just angry about it. (laughs) But, I mean, Kelly can be a guy's name. So there's a lot of names that go back and forth. I just had never heard Ella being used as a man's name. So Have you ever heard of a man named Ella? No. And I've never heard of a boy named Sue either. So No. But that was just a song. Right. But you know what? I mean, it, it could be. But now you you're know. right. I have heard <laughs> Kelly. I mean, actually, the first Kelly I ever knew was a boy. Right. And you're a tomboy, so it fits you anyway. <laughs> Beyond all of these stories is the fact that Native Americans and animals have been displaced in an effort to conserve the land. Seems kind of ironic when you think about it, but we also know that displacing the spirit of the land can cause issues. Are there Native American spirits wandering among the geysers? You know, people say that they see these misty figures and stuff all around there all the time. But you have to wonder, there's so many hot springs and geysers and things shooting off steam. Is it just that or is it spirits? How about animal spirits? There are some who claim that the spirit of a grizzly bear guards Death Gulch. He's been named Wob and has silver-tipped fur. I don't think I would want to see that because I don't want to see a grizzly bear anywhere real close to me. Well, I can't say as I agree with that. Well, I like to see bears, and I hope we right. see some when we go to Alaska. I don't, I don't want to see it like, within 20 feet of where I'm at because they can run a lot faster than uh-huh. I can. <laughs> but, yeah, I like to see them but, across the field. Right. But in terms of a spirit... I don't know. I think that that would be pretty amazing. Yeah, as long as you knew it was a spirit. Well, true. And then you have to hope that the spirit can't actually hurt you. I don't know. I I just feel like always showing the respect mm-hmm. goes a long way. Sure. So I, I, would, I would be open to that. Okay. <laughs> Karen had her own spooky story she shared. I was visited by something during the night at the inn that we paid $200 a night to stay in. We were laying in bed with all the lights off. My husband was next to me, sound asleep, CPAP and all. (laughs) I was listening to your podcast and playing solitaire on my phone. I heard something going through my things. I sat up and it stopped. I laid back down and started listening to the podcast again, and then I heard it even louder. So I got brave and turned on my flashlight and looked at the end of my bed. On my suitcase was a mouse eating my brownies, for heaven's sake. (laughs) (laughs) Little monster was so loud. So I did get a little spook after all. I could totally understand that and see that because you'd be like, what was that noise? And then it stops. (laughs) Right. And then it starts up again. You are going to think, and especially $200 a night, you're not expecting a mouse to be propped up eating your brownies on your suitcase. I guess not. But in that type of a, a lodge type accommodation. I don't know. I stayed at the Wawona in Yosemite and there were rodents and and everything. Mm -hmm. And I was just a kid and I just thought it was cool (laughs) because I wanted to go feed everything. (laughs) You know, this reminds me as a kid that I had kind of a creepy experience. My mom's cousin lived in Wisconsin 
And so we went back to see them and we stayed at their house one night and I was in their son's room staying in his bed. Mm -hmm. And he had these bins that were just full of loose Legos. And in the middle of the night, I could hear those Legos moving around inside that bin. Oh, geez. And I don't know if it was (laughs) bugs or mice or what. But I remember being pretty freaked out going, why are the Legos moving around (laughs) in that bin? Possessed Legos are going to jump out on the floor so you have to run across them. Yeah, I mean, that would be terrifying (laughs) to have to run across the floor and hit a few of those Legos. Yeah, I've hit a few Legos with bare feet in my ears. Who hasn't? (laughs) Yellowstone is well worth the visit for just the natural wonders and animals alone. But with the possibility of ghosts, it's all the better. Is Yellowstone National Park haunted? That? is for you to decide. Well, one day we will have to go there together, Kelly. I'd love to go as an adult. Absolutely. So, because, and I'm sure it's changed a lot because, well, when I was a teenager, let's just say we've had three decades go by. (laughs) So I'm sure it's changed. Hush your mouth. (laughs) (laughs) We want to encourage you guys to check out our website at historygoesbump.com. And if you want to send us some feedback, you can do that either by emailing us at historygoesbump at gmail.com Or send us some comments over at The Spectacular Crew on Facebook or up on Instagram. We check out all of those things. We had a couple of things in The Spectacular Crew that I thought would be fun for people to hear about. First of all, did you see the post by Mitch Riggs who does the Civil War reenactments? I did. It was amazing. So you gotta love it. You've got somebody who goes around wearing his Civil War soldier outfit here. And he wrote, there's a graveyard about a mile from my house I often walk to. There are many Civil War graves here, so every now and again I'll go pay my respects, clean them up, put flowers on them, etc. Well, one night around dusk, I went up there in uniform and it started misting and I started walking out and a car spotted me and slammed on its brakes. At this point, I had to have some fun with them, so when they pulled into the cemetery... I hid behind a tree. When the man came close. I walked out and I could hear them all scream and they peeled out of there. I gave someone quite the ghost story to tell. That's uh, something I would do. Everybody was like, you need to invest in some pale makeup. Yeah, definitely. And now this makes you go, I wonder if some of those stories that people say about seeing some kind well... of ghost out somewhere, it really is just a reenactor who's going, ha ha ha. You never know. And then the other really fun thing was... Janae and her husband had been watching the new season of Kindred Spirits, which you and I need to watch. We haven't caught up to that yet. And she had asked everyone, if you were a ghost and haunting a location that a team of investigators came to check out, would you cooperate or would you mess with them? (laughs) So I would love to know for the listeners, what would you do? What did you say, Kelly? Well, I think you probably can guess what I would do. Mess with them. (laughs) <laughs> you know, as long as they're being respectful, I'd give them good answers, too. But I would mess with them just because I like to prank mm-hmm. <laughs> and I like to have fun and I love to laugh. So I would definitely be messing with them. I think most people were kind of in the same page I was, too. I was like, oh, I would definitely have to mess with them a little bit. But being that we all seriously want to know about what's going on on the other side, if we get there and we can communicate back. What's going on since we'd wanted to know so bad, I would want to give them some serious answers oh, as well. Oh, absolutely. As long as they're being respectful. No, like, Zach Baggins type. Oh, if, <laughs> if it was Zach Baggins, I'd be knocking them upside the head. And I would just be messing with them the whole time. Absolutely. But yeah, if they're being respectful and really seem to want the answers. Right. It does make me wonder how possible that is, though, since we really don't get clear answers from anyone over there. It doesn't seem like. And there's got to be somebody out there who would be like us that's like, 
I've been looking for ghosts my whole life, and now here I am. I can tell them. They, they exist. Here's what's going on, and they just can't seem to tell us. Well, but we've had some pretty good, pretty clear answers to things. Yeah, but we're not getting full sentences like, well, yes, I was John Smith. I died on this date. I'm a ghost. Well, and true. over here in the afterlife, it sucks or something oh, like gosh. that, you know, or... Yeah, I'm in heaven. That's a lot and to I come through a spirit box, however. <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, I would love an EVP that goes, yeah, we can go back and forth from heaven and here and as our own choice or sure. you know, answer all those different questions. We want to thank everybody for joining us for this episode. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Kelly. You take care now. Bye bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers. Dispatches from the Grave Digger. We don't have anybody to welcome into the cemetery, but we do want to give a very special thank you to Beth and Adam Vanderyacht for your donation that is going to help us with our New York trip. Absolutely. Thank you so much, you guys. Greatly appreciated. You can find History Goes Bump on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Pandora, Google Play. And anywhere you can listen to podcasts. was the wife of E.C. Culver, who was a caretaker at the Firehole at the Firehole held at the Firehole he- Firehole Hellhole. <laughs> Weird to say in conjunction. Who was the caretaker at the Firehole I don't know why that's so it is two different, two separate words and I'll Firehole Hell Hell. I'll take the space out. <laughs> Just say it as two separate words and I'll take the space out in the middle. Who was the care <laughs> That'll never happen. And you're always complaining that all the bloopers are yours. Well, this is mine. Okay. (laughs) Now I've got the giggles again. Who was the caretaker at the Firehole Hotel from 1888 to 1889? The Cook Folsom Pearson. Pearson? The Cook Folsom (laughs) Pearson. Don't isolate that. The Cook Folsom Peterson Exhibition. Expedition. (laughs) What were they exhibiting, Kelly? Oh, you don't even want to (laughs) know. What I love about this is they all have to have their name in there. Well, true. (laughs) The Cook Folsom Peterson Ex... The Cook Folsom Peterson Expedition. Things would finally move forward and President Ulysses... I can't tough today. My tongue is really thick. In 1903, Uncle John went to Gardner, Montana to hear President Teddy... Teddy? (laughs) (laughs) You need to start with Montana. Montana to hear President Teddy Roosevelt speak. just did it again. President Teddy. Did I really? You said present. Ay, ay, ay. I'm tired.